podcast a weekly podcast that discuss what's going on in the world through the eyes of the long forgotten group generation x i'm your host steven vargas welcome to the show so i would personally want to thank you for tuning in today why a generation x podcast why not <laughs> as the internet explodes with battles between boomers and millennials gen zers the only group that's sitting watching and chomping on popcorn is the Gen X crowd. We've been called slackers, cynical, and disaffected. However, I've always disagreed with the slacker portion. Growing up in the aftermath of Watergate, we were told to never trust the government. We were also told that we could not change anything because the boomer generation won't let you, which is more evident now than it was in the 80s. Now, because we were so cynical in our status in life, we became disaffected, believing this is the way it is. You can't fight the system, so we resigned ourselves to that motif. It has been mistaken, which I believe has personally been mistaken for slacking. We were the first generation to discover that whole you can be anything was a load of bullshit. But I think this generation tried to overcompensate for that by giving their kids, which eventually became millennials, the idea that you can and will help you as opposed to you know, what our parents did or didn't do. Now, what is a Gen Xer? It's someone born between 1965 and 1980. And for those of you that can't do the math, it is someone between the ages of 41 and 56 as of now in 2021. While social media is talking about issues as if they're the first time they've ever happened, Gen Xers have seen this movie before. And it sucked. It sucked then and it sucks now. It's like a shitty movie that was rebooted and it still came out shitty. This podcast is designed to inform the boomers, millennials, and Generation Z that this isn't all new. You're both right and you're both wrong. And in the moment of gotcha, there, there is something missing in this argument. It's called context. Blaming boomers for the world's ills is myopic and silly as calling Generation Z lazy and entitled. Nothing happens in a vacuum. But as they stated in Battlestar Galactica, it has happened before, and it will happen again. Charles Joseph Whitman was born June 24th in Lake Worth, Florida. As a child, he was taught to handle guns safely and was actually pretty good at it. He was also a good student and an Eagle Scout. However, Charles and his mother lived under the tyranny of a perfectionist and demanding father who had a violent temper. So once Charles turned 18, he enlisted in the Marines. He went to boot camp in South Carolina. He earned the rank of sharpshooter and served more than a year at the Naval Air Base in Guantanamo Bay. Through a special military program, he enrolled in at the University of Texas, where he met his future wife, Catherine Lesner, and they would eventually marry a couple of years later. Now, 
After struggling academically, he was called back into active service, and after two years in the military, he was honorably discharged and returned to the University of Texas, Austin, where he eventually settled on majoring in architecture. About a year later, he sought out medical attention for some mental health issues. He was asking for help seeking uh, because he had these overwhelming violent impulses and fantasies about shooting people. Whitman was also suffering from severe headaches. The medical health physician instructed him to return for another session, but he never did. Whitman's mother eventually left her abusive relationship and moved into an apartment near the campus to be close to her son. The details have been pieced together, but nothing is completely certain. Now, sometime on the night of July 31st, Whitman visited his mother. He proceeded to stab her and shoot her in, and left a note in her, uh, next to her body. Whitman explained that he was, quote, truly sorry that this was the only way I could see to relieve her suffering, but I think it was best, end quote. After murdering his mother, he went home. Sometime after his wife went to bed, he went into her room and stabbed her to death. He typed a note before her death stating that he was going to kill her. And he said that, quote, I love her dearly. I cannot rationally pinpoint any specific reason for doing this, end quote. He thought it might have been his own selfishness or his desire to spare her from facing embarrassment over his actions. Now, on the morning of August 1st, Charles Whitman rented a hand truck and cashed $250 worth of bad checks at a bank, then drove to a hardware store where he purchased a 30 caliber universal M1 carbine, two additional ammunition magazines, and eight boxes of ammunition, telling the cashier he planned to hunt wild hogs. And at the gun shop, he purchased four more carbine magazines, six additional boxes of ammunition, and a can of, gleaning co of gun cleaning solvent. At Sears, he purchased a, Sear, a Sears Model 60 12-gauged semi-automatic shotgun before returning home. Whitman then packed his footlocker with a Remington 700 6mm bolt-action hunting rifle, a 35 caliber pump rifle, the M1 carbine, a 9mm Luger pistol, a Gillespie Brusea 25 caliber pistol, a Smith & Wesson M19 357 Magnum revolver, a shotgun, that he had sawn off the barrel and buttstock, as well as more than 700 rounds of ammunition. He also packed food, coffee, vitamins, dexedrine, excedrin, earplugs, jugs of water, matches, lighter fluid, rope, binoculars, a machete, three knives, a transistor radio, toilet paper, a razor, and a bottle of deodorant, because no matter what you're doing, you can't let them see you sweat. And he put on khaki coveralls over his shirt and jeans. At approximately 11.25 a.m., Whitman reached the University of Texas at Austin, where he showed false research assistant credentials to obtain a parking permit. Whitman wheeled his equipment toward the main building of the university. Entering the main building, Whitman found the elevator didn't work. An employee helped get it working for him. Whitman thanked her, stating, thank you, ma'am, before repeatedly saying, you don't know how happy this makes me. Exiting the elevator on the 27th floor, he hauled the dolly and equipment up a flight of stairs to the hallway, which led to another flight that led to the rooms near the observation deck. This led to an encounter with receptionist Edna Townsley. There's no real information as to what led to what happened next, 
But all we know is that Whitman knocked Townsend to the floor and split the back of her skull with the butt of his gun. Afterwards, he dragged her body behind the couch. Shortly after, Cheryl Botts and Don Weldon, or Walden, entered the reception area from the observation deck. Don Walden noticed Whitman's guns and assumed he was going to the observation deck to shoot pigeons. Whitman smiled, Hi, how are you? As they went down the elevator, he then pushed a desk across the entrance from the stairway. M.J. Gabor, his wife Mary Frances, and their sons Mike and Mark were in Austin visiting M.J.'s sister and her husband. Now around 11.45 a.m., they were climbing the stairs to the 27th floor where they encountered the desk Whitman had placed in the entrance of the reception area. As Mike and Mark squeezed past, Whitman came forward and fired his shotgun, hitting Mike in the shoulder and Mark in the head. He then fired down the stairs, striking Marguerite and Mary Frances. MJ and his brother-in-law, further down the stairs, were not hit and went for help at Mike's urging. Whitman went back to Townsley, who was still behind the couch, and shot her in the head before ex exiting the observation deck. Once he reached the deck, he began shooting at the people below. The rampage lasted less than two hours, with most of the deaths and injuries occurring in the first 15 to 20 minutes. Charles Whitman murdered a total of 14 people on August 1st, 1966, and wounded more than 30 others on campus. Most of his victims were shot in or near the heart. The shooting spree ended when two Austin police officers shot and killed him on the tower. In one of his writings, Whitman stated that he wanted his brain examined after the death to check after his death to check for signs of physical cause of mental illness. His request was granted in the form of a police autopsy, which showed that he had a brain tumor, but medical experts disagree over whether it had any influence on Whitman's behavior. The incident in 1966 introduced mass shootings into the American lexicon. Now, in the 1960s, there were six mass shootings. At the end of May 2021, there were 225 mass shootings claiming over 7,000 lives. Oh, but we don't have a gun problem in this country. People stick to the Second Amendment more than they do the first. Now, growing up in the 80s, I only remember two major incidents of mass shootings. But there were 21 during the 80s and 32 in the 90s. I remember the uh, McDonald's shooting in San Ysidro, which is near San Diego. A guy walked into a McDonald's on July 18, 1984, with an Uzi and a semi-automatic pistol and murdered 21 people and injured 19 more before being killed by a police sniper. And there's a really good documentary called 77 Minutes that documents the event and how unprepared law enforcement was. The other one I remember was on July, uh, January 17, 1989 in Stockton, California. A guy used a semi-automatic rifle and killed five children and wounded 32 other students and teachers on a school playground before killing himself. And if you do some digging, you'll find a lot of those shootings happened in schools way before Sandy Hook way before Columbine, and way before Parkland. Kids are constantly told by politicians that nothing will help them because they can't vote. Unless their parents vote on those issues, no one will lift a fucking finger. And of course, I could rail on conservatives all day, only, uh, whose only response is not less guns, but more guns. And Democrats are just as bad, especially corporate Democrats. Those are Democrats that take money from corporate donors. Dianne Feinstein, who is the chief among these, uh, told a group of kids that wanted her to back the Green New Deal. It was a softball of a photo op as you could get. 
but she took it to a whole nother level. She told a group of kids that she knew what she was doing and they should listen to her. She asked these kids, how old, how old were they? And of course, they were like elementary and middle school kids. And she replied, you didn't vote for me. That's why my generation is so cynical. We hear politicians from both sides claiming that they want to make the world better for children. Well, I mean for voters of children, because they couldn't honestly give a fuck about your kids. Mass shootings have been an issue for a long time, but no one on either side has done anything. Why? Because they won't win re-election. Texas has had 11 more mass shootings since the University of Texas. And that's of now, July of 2021. In 1980, a man walked into a Starburst lounge in El Paso, used a 22 caliber rifle, and killed five people and injured three others. An account of the incident from the Associated Press story described how one customer at the bar grabbed the man while another hit him with a pool cue, and a third stepped into the path of a bullet to spare a woman's life. A gunman drove a blue Ford pickup through the front window of Luby's cafeteria in 1991, got out, and started shooting. He killed 23 people before finally shooting himself. In its time, this was the deadliest mass shooting in modern U.S. history. On September 15, 1999, horror struck Fort Worth's Wedgwood Baptist Church when Larry Jean Ashbrook invaded a youth rally carrying 200 rounds of ammunition and a pipe bomb. Before he turned the gun on himself, seven people were injured and seven others were dead. The 2009 Fort Hood shooting rampage that killed 13 people and wounded more than 30. The shooter was an army psychiatrist acknowledged carrying out the attack at the Texas military base inside a crowded waiting room where unarmed troops were making final preparations to deploy to Afghanistan and Iraq. In April 2024, a soldier opened fire on fellow servicemen at the Fort Hood military base, killing three people and wounding 16 before killing himself at the same post where more than a dozen people were slain in the 2009 attack. The shooter served in Iraq in 2011. The shooting outside a Twin Peaks restaurant in Waco on May 17, 2015, left nine people dead and at least 20 injured. It involved rival biker gangs, the Bandidos and the Cossacks, and occurred as bikers from various groups were gathering to talk over matters of concern. Fights and gunfire broke out. Waco police monitoring the gathering also fired on the bikers, killing at least two. Surveillance footage showed many bikers running from the scene and ducking for cover after the gunshots rang out. A smaller group could be seen pointing and firing weapons, slinging a chain, or participating in fistfights. Law enforcement officers recovered dozens of firearms, knives, and other weapons from the restaurant and the adjacent parking lot. The date of the police ambush, July 7, 2016, is defined as the deadliest day for law enforcement since the September 11th attacks. An Army veteran fatally shot four Dallas police officers and one transit officer before authorities killed him using a robot-delivered bomb. Nine other officers and two civilians were wounded. The shooting followed a peaceful demonstration featuring featuring hundreds of people in downtown Dallas to protest recent fatal police shootings. In September 2017, nine people, including the suspect, died after a man opened fire during a gathering to watch football at a home in Polano, a suburb of Dallas. 
The, an officer responding to the reports of shots fired confronted the suspect shooter and opened fire, killing the suspect. The officer approached the house from the back and saw bodies in the backyard before confronting the suspect inside. Dressed in black tactical style gear and armed with an assault rifle, 26-year-old Devin Kelly opened fire on in November 7, 2017 at the First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, killing 26 people and wounding about 20 others. The gunman had a history of domestic violence and sent threatening text messages to his mother-in-law, a member of First Baptist. Before the attack, he, in which he fired at least 450 rounds at helpless worshippers. The military acknowledged that it didn't submit the shooter's criminal history to the FBI as required by the Pentagon. His past offenses have been properly shared. They might have prevented him from buying a gun. In May 2018, a 17-year-old armed with a shotgun and pistol opened fire at a Houston-area high school, killing 10 people, most of them students, and in the nation's deadliest attacks, uh, deadliest such attacks since the massacre three months earlier at the high school in Parkland, Florida, that gave rise to the campaign by teens for gun control. The suspected shooter in custody on murder charges also had explosive devices that were found in the school and nearby, said Governor Abbott who called the assault one of the most heinous attacks that we've ever seen in the history of Texas schools. 20 people were killed and more than two dozen injured in a shooting Saturday in a busy shopping area in the Texas border town of El Paso, Governor Abbott said. Among the possibilities being investigated is whether it was a hate crime, the police chief said. El Paso confirmed... Um, El Paso police confirmed that the gunman is from Allen, a Dallas suburb. Police said another 26 people were injured and most of them being treated at hospitals. Most of the victims were believed to have been shot at a Walmart near the Silo Vista Mall, they said, adding that the store was packed with as many as 3,000 people during the busy back-to-school season. But what does Governor Abbott do? He signs a bill, a gun bill, that allows anyone to own a gun. Keeping the power on in Texas during the winter and summer isn't an issue, but guns are, and a phony border wall. Now, anytime someone wants to pass gun legislation, we have wackos coming out and saying false flag operations. These people are used to reside in the deep, dark recesses of your basement. You know, like those comic book nerds that post on Reddit. Sandy Hook, false flag. El Paso, false flag. San Bernardino, no that was real because it was committed by Muslims. Boomers will tell you that we need to preserve the Second Amendment. Why? Because it's in the Constitution. Well, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness is in the Declaration of Independence. Boomers say it isn't the gun, it's mental health of the shooter. Which brings us to an interesting paradox. Keeping the Second Amendment because it's the mental health issue. Okay, well, let's get mental health easier to access to prevent these things. Oh, no. People shouldn't have to pay for someone else's health. It doesn't affect them. Now, if mental health is the reason behind mass shootings, then it does affect them or will affect them. Then you have many millennials and Gen Zers that think we should abolish all weapons. As misread as the Second Amendment is, you can't. The reason being is that it would send a dangerous precedent. Not to, not to mention, banning all weapons isn't a solution. If you have enough members of Congress to abolish the Second Amendment, wait for another administration. Then they could take away something else. You know, like the first. 
which is what ultra conservatives are attempting to do with their passion to rid us of Section 230. Even if you could find Democrats, and I'm talking about cinema and mansion, that reside in purple areas to vote their conscience, their corporate donors won't let them. Growing up, we never had to worry about active shooter drills. All we had were fire and earthquake drills in California, and we even once had to concern ourselves with someone coming to school. We never once had to concern ourselves with someone coming to school and shooting certain kids and teachers. I mean, yeah, we had gang shootings, but many people didn't care because it only happened in certain schools. Mass shootings became a bigger issue when they happened in affluent communities. Like the LAPD task force assigned to curb the uh, quote-unquote gang problem, gang shootings were common. But since they happened in communities of color, no one gave a fuck. Once an Asian girl was killed in gang violence in Westwood, then everyone realized that there was a gang problem and someone had something had to be done about it. And that turned out well. Didn't it, Rampart? When I was in school, the most ruthless thing I saw on school grounds was, a, was gang fights between blacks and Mexican gangs. Uh, heard someone was stabbed with a number two pencil once. Usually those incidents happened after school or off, off grounds, for the most part. In a highly political, polarized climate, no one can see straight. They can't see the forest for the trees. Everyone is about teaching the other side a lesson or owning whoever. Compromise has to be a solution. Both sides need to give up some ground for the betterment of society. You can't ban all weapons, fine. But you can ban certain military-style weapons that the public does not need to have. Close loopholes. Stop purchases at gun shows that don't do full background checks. Hold sellers responsible if they don't comply with the rules. You know what's, what's more common sense than common sense gun laws? Using common sense to solve these issues. Boomers will say, we didn't have that problem when I was a kid, so your solution won't solve it. Really? Since they don't want to allow people to get mental health uh, issues resolved, then you need a solution. The access to the internet changes the whole game. These things didn't happen when I was a kid either. But honestly, they did. We just didn't have the internet and 24-hour cable news to focus on these issues. So if you believe your solution is to do nothing, because that's how it was when I grew up, and it isn't a solution at all. There, it's not about taking your life away from you. It's about taking the lives of your children and grandchildren away from them. Thanks for tuning in. We want to ditch ads and be independent, so we, so we can only do that with your support. So if you would like to donate to make this podcast and all the other shows on the Lazy Geeks Network sustaining, or at least self-sustaining, you can go to the lazygeeks.com and click on the donate button. And if you can't help us out monetarily, you can share the shows with your buddies, rate the show on iTunes. We're new. Uh, we're trying to make it out there. You know, we're trying to do something different. So doing that will give us bigger exposure, will allow more people to find us. Um, it all helps. It really does. Trust me on this one. Uh, it's not my first rodeo. And you can check out all the other shows on the Lazy Geeks Network. There's our Truly Pointless podcast. My, uh, it's our, um, our Stream of Consciousness Geek podcast. Then I have my Geek News show, which is the Lazy Geeks, and our Star Trek-centric podcast, The Away Team. 
all available wherever you get this show. And if you want to be part of the show, hit me up in the comments, ask questions, or give ideas for future episodes. Eventually, I'm going to start running out of ideas, so I'm going to need some help. Uh, catch us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under at the Lazy Geeks, or email us at thegenxer73 at gmail.com. And by the way, you can also follow me personally. If you like what I have to say or don't, who gives a shit? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at thegen underscore xer. Uh, you can also find my personal blog, which is just rantings of a, a gen, uh, generation xer. And you can go to thegenxerjournals.com. All right, so that is it for us this week and for our first episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll, and so until next time, I'm Stephen Vargas and the battle and between the battle of the boomers and the millennials, there's the Gen Xers. Oh,